Good morning, everybody. How are you? My mic's up okay? Everybody's doing good? All right, so we got to do a little housekeeping before we get started here. Is that okay? Gonna clear up a few items. First, um, I believe in full disclosure, I think there's a slide so you know how old I am, right? You're not supposed to ask a woman how old they are, but it's okay to ask a guy, apparently. So, hey, Daniel, do we have that slide? Do we have the, 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 the age slide? My, no, no, that's okay. We're good. <laughs> so, Chelsea, my daughter Chelsea, you gave this to me on my birthday. I turned 50 in November. My, I think Chelsea uh, sent me a, an e-card or something for my birthday. So, I'm 50, and so when, last night when I spoke, um, I forgot a couple things. I forgot there's a monitor right there, so every time I would point to a slide, I would look like this, and there's a, there's a screen right there, so that shows my age. Um, I forgot to turn on my mic when I walked up, so that's the second thing. And then I realized there's this cool little switch right here. It's a fan switch. You turn this fan switch on, two fans. Oh, it's crazy. Because I don't have one of those things that Pastor John has, you know, to pat your head when you start preaching. You know, preacher, or preacher dookie or whatever it's called. Uh, preacher hanky. Anyway, uh, so I'm 50. That's that. Full disclosure. Um, as many of you know, um, probably you got my bio a couple weeks ago when... We announced Pastor John. And so on that bio, if you read it, I did uh, go to college after graduating from high school. But the primary reason, uh, arguably the only reason, that I went to college was to play baseball. Um, I was that proverbial dumb jock. And so off to college I went, primarily to play ball. Uh, In their high school years, I had an older brother and an older sister that were both valedictorians of their graduating class. And that was the late 70s. And neither one of them went to college. That's fine, right? Most people didn't back then. Um, And unlike my older siblings that were valedictorians, I was not. I'm sure that's not surprising to anybody, but uh, I was not uh, like my older brother and sister. But nonetheless, off to college I went. I got my bachelor's degree and then uh, eventually went on to earn uh, my master's in, in business a few years back. And currently, as many of you know, I'm about halfway done with a seminary degree from Biola University which will give me a master's in Bible exposition. All that to say is that it could, on some level, be argued that, uh, on paper at least, I'm a somewhat intelligent guy. Thank you for laughing. I agree with you. However, what person in their right mind would take the position of senior pastor on the heels of Pastor John Warhaus? Can I get an amen? Apparently I'm that guy. Additionally, as many of you know, um, if you were here a few months ago when I preached, it was the first time I'd ever spoken at a church that had three services, a Saturday night and two Sunday mornings. I've preached on and off for 15 years, and I've done two services, but never three. And uh, it it takes a little stamina, to be honest with you. Um, Apparently, uh, there's three services every weekend. Holy cow. I guess I didn't read the fine print before signing on the dotted line, but nonetheless, here go I. Um, Lastly, uh, being somewhat of an observant guy, when I preached back in January, I noticed that there was this guy at all three services. And I thought, oh, The Rock has a spy. He got a guy spying on me at all three services. The same guy. And he wasn't even that good at being a spy. He sat right here in the front row or second row. And he worshipped with his hands up all three services. And I thought, their spy is not really that inconspicuous. Well, this spy, many of you may know him. His name is Jeff Ochoa. Anybody know Jeff? 
Jeff just happened to be at all three services. I love, I love Jeff. He's become very dear to me. Um, but at the end of the 11 o'clock service, which is my third time of preaching back in January, Jeff comes up to me, and he was encouraging after all three services, after Saturday night, Sunday 9 a.m., Sunday 11 a.m., he was encouraging after all three services. But after the 11 a.m., he says, this one was your best. My last one. And I looked at him, and I says, I totally agree. You know, you get better as you go, right? Hopefully, you learn from your mistakes. So I appreciate Jeff, and I completely agree. But truth be told, there are benefits no matter which service you attend. Did you know that? If you come to Saturday, you get the most raw version. I like the raw version, right? The initial version. If you come Sunday at 9 a.m., you get the most refreshed version. I've slept. I've, I've had a, I got one under my belt. It's the most refreshed version. If you come at 11, you get the most refined version. That's the one Jeff Ochoa likes, apparently. So you're getting the most refined version. Everybody wins, right? Amen? Amen. I do like a little bit of interaction, so I might ask for an amen here and there. All right, just one more thing. Anyone ever see the movie Guardians of the Galaxy? Yeah, raise your hand, right? I love that movie. I thought it was a cool movie. Thank you. Yeah, all right. So Neil Kohlhaas, everybody know Neil Kohlhaas? Neil is what I call the guardian of authenticity. And if you come to our uh, weekly men's breakfast over at uh, Kino's, um, Neil is just an authentic guy. And so he's the guardian of authenticity. Every time I've seen him for the last couple weeks, uh, he's sought to it to be authentic with me and let me know the big shoes that I have to fill for Pastor John. And I appreciate that about Neil. And we've had fun about that. And, uh, but thankfully, what I also appreciate is Neil's encouragement over the past few weeks. He has encouraged me so much, as have many of you. And I'm so thankful for that. And Neil, I'm kind of making fun of him, but you know, he's actually encouraged me to a degree where it's brought tears to my eyes more than once. He's just been that loving, and I really, really appreciate that. And thank you to many of you as well. All fun aside, um, a big heartfelt thank you from myself and my family. Um, you've made us feel very welcomed and loved, and I appreciate that very much. I just ask that you please keep, in this time of transition, um, Pastor John, UK, uh, in your prayers, and my family as well. Would you do that? Thank you. With that behind us, is it okay if we pray? Lord, we thank you so much for this church. We thank you for Pastor John and Kay. We love them. We love your church. And we are here, Lord, to please you and to focus our eyes on you. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. So, I've got, I got a plan A, and here's plan A. Plan A is, I need your permission to preach. All in favor, say aye. Aye. Perfect, because I have no plan B. All right? So this is going to work out great for us. Thank you very much. As I mentioned earlier, it was, um, it was back in January when I, when I preached, and, and that was fine. All was well and good, for at that time, I was simply the guest preacher. That's all I was, I was the guest preacher. But today, today's much different, isn't it? For all of us. Pastor John and Kay are retiring. And that's going to happen sometime in August or September. And it goes without saying that they are going to be terribly missed. Like you, I'm very grateful for their kingdom contributions and I'm grieving their departure. 
while I'm humbled and excited to be brought into this mighty work of God called the Rock Community Church, I have mentioned to Pastor John on numerous occasions in the six, seven months that I've known him that my only and deepest regret is not having more time with him. I'm jealous. Many of you have known John for many, many years. But I get three or four more months with him, and I'm so thankful God's given me that. I'm also grateful, and I praise God, that Pastor John and my heart, our hearts, are as one for this church. Amen? So, on some level, it appears that I drew the short straw as Pastor John's replacement, but I do it with honor. So, we're going to look in Joshua. We're going to focus mostly in chapters 1 through 5, and we're going we're gonna to get a few things done here. So, turn with me, if you will, to Joshua. The book of Joshua, right after Deuteronomy, in the Old Testament. A few weeks back, my, my wife had returned from a Tuesday night um, lesson at her Bible study fellowship. And she began to tell me of what she had learned uh, that night. And they were talking that night. Uh, they were in the Old Testament as well. And they were discussing the transition at Bible study fellowship, uh, the transition from Moses to Joshua. That was a few weeks ago. And needless to say, I, I couldn't help but think that this may just be the perfect context for today's message. So I began to pray about that, and immediately the Lord made it very clear that that's what he would have me to teach on, is the transition from Moses to Joshua. The Lord also, in all of his grace, mercy, and wisdom, knew that it was a perfectly timed word, a good word of truth for my wife and I, and we were encouraged. God is good. And I pray the same will be true for you this morning, which is why I needed your permission to preach. So I hope to accomplish two things this morning when our time is done here. We're going to do two things. First, we're going to look at the storyline. The storyline is the people, the places, the dates, uh, and events. The people, places, dates, and events. These are the essential components to understanding a text. That's the storyline. Okay? That's kind of on the surface. But we're also going to take a look at the second thing, which is the plot line. The more central concern of the text we must always keep at the center of our attention the understanding of God and His plan, the plot. Does that make sense? Storyline, plot line. Oftentimes when we read God's Word, we develop a mastery of the storyline, but we miss, we're not impacted very much or at all by the plot line of God's Word. So that's the two things we're going to do, storyline and plot line. And there's some great stuff in the storyline. We're going to hit that first, and then we're going to hit the plot line. All right? Let's take a look. Chapter 1 of Joshua, verses 1 and 2. Now it came about after the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, that the Lord spoke to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses, Moses the servant, saying, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now therefore arise, cross the Jordan, you and all this people, to the land which I am giving to them, to the sons of Israel. Okay, so this starts our story. They're going to cross the, to go into a land. What land is this? Do we know? What's it called? Promised land, somebody said. What else is it called? The land flowing with milk and honey. More properly, it's called the the land of Canaan. It's where the Canaanites are. Very good. 
where does that storyline of the land, the promised land, the land flowing with milk and honey, where does that storyline begin? Does anybody know? Abraham, Genesis chapter 12. How many years ago was that? So 450, I heard something close. 600 years, roughly 600 years. This storyline in Joshua started 600 years ago in a promise that the Lord made to Abraham to multiply him and make him into a great nation. Chapter 1, verse 10. So we're just building the storyline, right? Chapter 1, verse 10. So Joshua commanded the officers of the people, and he said, Pass through the midst of the camp and command people, saying, Prepare provisions for yourselves. For within three days you are to cross the Jordan to go in to possess the land which the Lord your God has given you to possess it. I think it's interesting that he says twice, go to the land to possess it, to possess it. 600 years has passed. They've waited a long time. They probably weren't sure if it was really going to happen, but God says go into the land to possess it, to possess it. Now is the time. God's going to deliver on a promise he made 600 years ago because that's the kind of God that they serve and that's the kind of God that we serve. Chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. Then Joshua, the son of Nun, he sent two spies secretly from Shittim saying, Go, view the land, especially Jericho. So they went and came into the house of a harlot whose name was Rahab and they lodged there. It was told the king of Jericho, saying, Behold, two men from the sons of Israel have come here tonight to search out the land. And then we know the rest of that story. A couple things I want to point out. They sent, Joshua sent out what? What were they called? Spies. And he sent them out publicly or how? Secretly, it says, right? Sent two spies secretly. He sent two spies out secretly in verse 1. What happens in verse 2? Everybody knows the spies are there. These spies are not named, but I get, I'm guessing one of them is named Jeff Ochoa. That was a joke. I just thought that was interesting. So off the spies go, and they end up with Rahab. And we know the story of Rahab. In exchange for Rahab hiding the spies, her and her family will be what? Saved, spared, that's right. And here's what's cool. The Lord's doing work. He's about to conquer a very rebellious nation called the Canaanites. In the time of the Lord's conquest of a nation and the Lord's justice being meted out on a rebellious nation of the Canaanites, we still see God's grace and mercy. The response of Rahab is important in Joshua 2 because it shows us that even one under the judgment of God who responds in faith will be spared. It's never, never, never too late. Amen? Rahab, a harlot, is mentioned in the genealogy of Christ in Matthew chapter 1. Is that incredible? Here in Joshua 2, we also get a glimpse of Christ. The scarlet cord in Rahab's window suggests Christ's redemptive work on the cross. The blood-red cloth hanging in the window that saved Rahab and her family from death so too Christ shed blood. And his hanging on the cross saves us from eternal death. Even then, the Lord is preparing and showing us his love and his son. Even then. 
Go to chapter 3, verses 14 through 17. Chapter 3 of Joshua, verses 14 through 17. This might sound familiar. So the people, after the land gets spied out, so the people sent out from their tents to cross the Jordan with the priests carrying the Ark of the Covenant before the people. And when those who carried the Ark came into the Jordan, and the feet of the priests carrying the Ark were dipped in the edge of the water, the waters which were flowing down from above stood up and rose up in one heap a great distance away at Adam, the city that is beside Zarathon. And those which were flowing down near the Sea of the Arabah, the Salt Sea, were completely cut off. So the people crossed opposite Jericho. And the priests who carried the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord stood firm on dry ground in the middle of the Jordan, while all Israel crossed on dry ground until all the nations had finished crossing the Jordan. Does that story sound familiar? It's a familiar sounding story. The same God who worked in the same ways with Moses was the same God working in the same ways with Joshua. In in the generation before with Moses, in this current generation with Joshua. Let's go to chapter 4. We're building the storyline. Verses 1, 2, and 3 of chapter 4. Now when the nation had finished crossing the Jordan, the Lord spoke to Joshua, and he said this, Take for yourselves twelve men from the people, one from each tribe, and command them, saying, Take up for yourselves twelve stones from here, out of the middle of the Jordan, from the place where the priests' feet are standing firm, and carry them over with you, and lay them down in the the lodging place where you will lodge tonight. And then the end of verse 7 it says, So these stones shall become a memorial to the sons of Israel forever. Why are memorials important? How do you and I memorialize the work of the Lord in our lives? If you've served the Lord for even a day, there's already a memorial that you can place for the Lord. We need to remember the work that God's done. I haven't been here for the roughly 12 years that the Rock Community Church has existed, but I can promise you there's probably a lot of memorials that we can put up for God's faithfulness. Amen? And here's what's cool. The reason we need to remember is because there's a saying that, what is it, uh, the best predictor of future behavior is past performance, right? If I want to predict how somebody's going to respond in the future, I just have to look at how they acted in the past. And so remembering what God's done, we're so quick to forget what God has done. And we tend to be, what has He done for me lately? God wants us to remember at all times. He wants them to remember. Even though it's been 600 years, He's still working. He's still a faithful God. And He wants churches to do that. He wants us as individuals to do that. Let's turn to chapter 5. Chapter 5, verses 1 through 5. Now it came about when all the kings and the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan to the west and all the kings of the Canaanites who were by the sea heard how the Lord had dried up the waters of the Jordan before the sons of Israel until they had crossed, their hearts melted. There was no spirit in them any longer because of the sons of Israel. Now would be a perfect time to attack. Wouldn't you agree? What happens? Verse 2. This is crazy. At that time, the Lord said to Joshua, Make for yourself flint knives and circumcise all the sons of Israel a second time. So Joshua made himself flint knives and circumcised the sons of Israel at Gibeath Haraloth. 
This is the reason why Joshua circumcised them. All the people who came out of Egypt who were males, all the men of war died in the wilderness along the way. For all the people, verse 5, who came out were circumcised, but all the people who were born in the wilderness along the way as they came out had not been circumcised. What interesting timing. Their hearts are melted. They're arrayed in battle. And God calls for a circumcision. Are you kidding me? Look in chapter 4, verse 13. How many were dressed for battle in, in chapter 4, verse 13? <coughs> How many? 40,000. So you got the entire nation of men and 40,000 dressed in battle array. Could there have been a better time for a circumcision like before we got dressed? Right? I mean, if I were one of those guys in battle array, I'd, I'd be laughing or crying. Like, you've got to be kidding me. Like, you know how long it took me to get dressed? Now I've got to get circumcised, right? It, it's just interesting that God would choose this time. Lord, this is not the best time for a medical procedure. But here's why it was important. This physical operation on the body was actually meant to be a symbol of a spiritual operation on the heart. The physical operation on the body was meant to be a symbol of a spiritual operation on the heart. God needs to remind them about their covenant, who He is and who they are, and that He's the one that's in charge, and it's Him who led them there, and it's Him that's going to give them the victory. Amen? Storylines always address you know, the obvious things, if you will, the outward. But God is always focused on our hearts. He's more interested in the plot line. Stories are important. The plot is the key. In chapter 5, continuing in verse 13, <clears throat> it came about when Joshua was by Jericho that he lifted up his eyes and he looked. So now they've crossed, right? And a man was standing opposite him with his sword drawn in his hand. Joshua went to him and said to him, Are you for us or for our adversaries? And he said, No, rather I indeed come now as the captain of the host of the Lord. And Joshua fell on his face to the earth and bowed down and said to him, What has my Lord to say to his servant? And he said, Remove your sandals, the place you're standing on is holy ground. And from there, the rest of the story, if you will, as they say, is history. They overtake the land of Canaan. They divide the land, the land of promise amongst the twelve tribes of Israel. They experience peace for many years. And Joshua bids farewell at the end of the book. That's the storyline. What's next? The plot line. So now we're going to turn our attention to the plot line. Turn to chapter 21. We're going to get what's called the purpose statement of the book of Joshua. Joshua 21, chapter 21. We got a slide for that. Joshua 21. Verses 43, 44, and 45. Verse 43. So the Lord gave. I'll say it again. So the Lord gave Israel all the land which He swore to give them. And they possessed it and lived in it. Verse 44. And the Lord gave them rest on every side according to all that He had sworn to their fathers. No one of all their enemies stood before them. And in the latter part of 44, the Lord gave all their enemies into their hand. The Lord did that. Not one of the good promises which the Lord had made to the house of Israel failed. Every single one 
came to pass. Can I get an amen? The book of Joshua highlights God. The book of Joshua highlights God. It shows God's side of the covenant and His faithfulness in keeping promises. It's not a biography of Joshua. It's not about the transition from Moses to Joshua. And it's not a military history of the conquest and the division of land. It's about how God, and not their own strength, gives Israel the land. It's about how God, and not their own strength, gives Israel rest. It's about how God, and not their own strength, gives Israel's enemies into their hands. Who's it about? It's about God. The lead role in the book of Joshua is not Joshua, nor is it Moses, although he's mentioned 57 times in the book of Joshua. So the lead role is God. Look at verse 10 in chapter 3 of Joshua. Chapter 3, verse 10. Turn with me to chapter 3, verse 10. The lead role is God. Chapter 3, verse 10. Joshua said, By this you shall know that the living God is among you. By this you shall know that the living God is among you, and that He will assuredly dispossess from before you the Canaanite, the Hittite, the Hivite, the Perizzite, the Girgashite, the Amorite, and the Jebusite. You shall know that the living God is among you. Look at chapter 4, verse 23 and 24. Chapter 4, verse 23 and 24. God is the lead role. Verse 23, For the Lord your God dried up the waters of the Jordan before you until you had crossed, just as the Lord your God had done to the Red Sea, which He dried up before us until we had crossed. Why? Verse 24, That all the peoples of the earth may know that the hand of the Lord is mighty so that you may fear the Lord your God forever. God is the lead role. Look at verse chapter 23 in, in, in Joshua's farewell. Chapter 23, verses 1 through 3. Joshua 23, 1 through 3. Now it came about after many days when the Lord had given rest to Israel from all their enemies on every side, and Joshua was old, advanced in years, that Joshua called for all Israel, for their elders and their heads and their judges and their officers, and said to them, I'm old, I'm advanced in years, and you have seen all that the Lord your God has done to all these nations because of you. For the Lord your God is He who has been fighting for you. The lead role in the covenant that God made with Abraham is not Abraham. <clears throat> nor is it Isaac, nor Jacob, nor Joseph, nor Moses, nor Joshua. Nor is it Pastor John, nor is it Pastor Dave, nor shall it be Pastor Mark. The lead role in the Rock Community Church belongs to none other than the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. Is that okay? I love... Anybody heard of Jack Hayford? 
at a big church out in the valley called Church on the Way. Huge church. Thousands and thousands of people. And he wrote a Bible handbook. I think it's what it's called. Hayford's Bible Handbook. And he has a um, he has a word for the church. A word of encouragement for the church today. And here's what he says. He says, The book of Joshua portrays our call to be unafraid. The book of Joshua portrays our call to be unafraid. What does that mean? To be unafraid. Not limiting God to a former generation. Not limiting God to a former generation. But knowing that God is just as active today as He was in the past. Pastor John's will come and go. Pastor Mark's will come and go. Pastor Dave's will come and go. Joshua's will come and go. Moses's will come and go. And we have memorials and we remember these great men of God. But God will always be the lead role. And I agree with Pastor Jack. God's calling us to be unafraid. Go back to chapter 1, verse 5. Chapter 1, verse 5 says this. No man will be able to stand before you all the days of your life, the Lord says to Joshua. Just as I have been with Moses, I will be with you. I will not fail you nor forsake you. That's God's word to us. Moses, indeed, was a great man. He was a great prophet and a great legislator. Joshua was a military genius and general with great courage and great trust in the Lord. But the secret to their success was not the giftedness that the Lord gave them. We can find the secret to their success in chapter 5, verses 13 through 15. The secret to their success was in chapter 5, 13 through 15. It came about when Joshua was by Jericho. We've already read some of this. He looked up, he lifted up his eyes and he looked, and behold, a man was standing opposite him with his sword drawn in his hand. And Joshua went to him and said, Are you for us or against us? No, rather, I indeed come to you now as captain of the host of the Lord. And Joshua fell on his face to the earth, bowed down and said to him, What has my Lord to say to his servant? That was the key to the success for Moses. That's the key to success for Joshua. It's the key to success for Pastor John, for Pastor Dave, and for me and every one of us. What has the Lord to say to his servant? That's the circumcision of the heart that God wants in all of us. you go back to Joshua's call, chapter 1, we're about to wind up. You go back to chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. I'm going to read this again. It came about after the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, that the Lord spoke to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' servant, saying, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now therefore do what? What does it say? Moses, my servant, is dead. He says to Joshua, now therefore arise. Arise, cross the Jordan, you and all this people, to the land which I'm giving to them, to the sons of Israel. I, too, want to be like Joshua, who, like Moses, who, like Pastor John, 
are nothing more than servants that will arise when called on by God. That's all I want to be like. And I hope you want to be like that too. When God says, arise, will you arise? Will you cross? Will you follow? Will you follow the God of promise? Also in chapter 1, look at verse 5. 5 through 9. What are, what are some of the verses we love out of Joshua? What are, what, what are the verses we remember out of Joshua? It's in this first chapter. Anybody? That, that's right. That's one. We're going to read it. That's, that's perfect. So, verse 5. No man will be able to stand before you all the days of your life. As I have been with Moses, I'll be with you. I will not fail you or forsake you. Here's the ones I was thinking of. Be strong. Verse 6, right? Be strong and courageous. Because I think we learn those when we're younger, right? Be strong and courageous. Verse 6, be strong and courageous, for you shall give this people possession of the land which I swore to their fathers to give them. Only what, he says? Be strong and very courageous. Be careful to do according to all the law which Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left, so that you may have success wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night. Psalm 1 so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have success. Verse 9, Have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous. You heard those verses before? Be strong and courageous. Does anybody find anything interesting about those words, be strong and courageous, to Joshua? What do we know about Joshua up to this point in Scripture? Anybody? Joshua is strong and courageous. The guy's a machine. He is a stud, a spiritual stud, who has kicked butt for Jesus and kicked butt for the kingdom. Joshua is the last guy you need to say, be strong and courageous. Why is he telling him to be strong, strong and courageous? It's interesting to me. I'm not sure I'm taking too great a liberty here in saying this, but essentially what I think the Lord is saying to Joshua is this. Just be yourself. You're taking over some big shoes in this guy named Moses who was written about him all of Exodus and Leviticus and Numbers and Deuteronomy. And he's saying to Joshua, you're already strong and courageous. Just keep being that way. He can't be Moses. He, God just wants him to be himself. Amen? God just wants us to be ourselves and use us where we're at and who we are. How has God called you? Be strong and courageous. Be yourself. Here's what's also cool. Look at verse 16 of chapter 1. So they answered, the people answered Joshua saying, All that you have commanded us we will do, and wherever you send us we will go. As we obeyed Moses, we'll obey you. Only may the Lord your God be with you as he was with Moses. Fair request, right? Anyone who rebels against your command and does not obey your words and all that you command him shall be put to death. Only, what do they tell him? Be strong and courageous. The people are telling Joshua the same thing that God told him. Just be yourself. For the record, I just want to be myself. And you guys have allowed me that. And I thank you so much. Let me tell you about myself. I just want to be like Moses, a servant that arose when God called. I just want to be like Joshua, a servant that arose when God called. I just want to be like Pastor John, 
a servant that arose when God called. I just want to be like Pastor Dave, a servant that arose when God called. But I also promise to be myself. I'm a man who loves God, a man who loves his family, a man who loves his church, a man who loves the Word of God, and a man that just wants to continue the conquest that God has called this church to. Is that fair? Amen? Thank you very much. Before I pray, after the service, we have typically, right, some people on the prayer team that will be to my left, your right. So if you need prayer for anything, please go to the people on the prayer team. They'd love to pray for your requests, uh, big or small. If you'd like to pray with me, I'm more than happy to do that as well. Um, thank you so much for coming. pray that you have a great rest of the Sunday. Let me pray uh, and close our time here together. Thank you. Lord, thank you so very much for your faithful word. Lord, we thank you in numerous ways, too, too numerous to count, Lord, for Pastor John and for Kay and for the sacrifices that they have made. Lord, we thank you that you are nothing but pleased with the work that you've done here. And so we give you praise for that as well. Lord, we pray for the strength to arise when you call so that we can continue to take the land that you have called this church to take. And we lift all this up in your most precious name, to which everybody said, Amen. Thank you. Have a great Sunday.